Galatians chapter 1, please. Galatians chapter 1. And we welcome you here tonight. It's good to see uh, Clay and Glenda Atkinson with us, Sabrina's parents. How long are you staying for? Till the 16th. He can't do the math. He just knows it's the 16th. So it's, it's easy. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. That's what I would have done too, just like you did. So at least he's honest. Uh, so good. Good to, good to see you folks. Good to have you here uh, with us and, of course, all of our regular members as well. And if you haven't been with us, uh, we're in a, st- a series of of studies in the book of Galatians, working our way verse by verse through this uh, epistle that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. And tonight, uh, I'm going to remind you of where we have, because we took a little bit of a break for our missions conference and, and just uh, some time around that, and so we're getting back into it here. I'll just remind you where we've been in this study. Our text verses tonight, though, are going to be Uh, from verses 13 down through verse 24. And so let's read that, and then I'll just give you a little bit of reminder of what what we've considered so far. The Bible says, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above uh, many mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father's, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days, But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me." We need to remember or refresh our memories uh, with respect to the, to the context in which our passage is found. The first two chapters of Galatians, if you remember, are, are introductory chapters. They're foundational uh, to what Paul is going to get to in this epistle, in this letter. And what we need to remember is that uh, the Galatian churches uh, had departed or moved away from God, in, in this respect, they were adopting a gospel that it was, or a, a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was actually no gospel at all. If you look back in verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And then Paul says that if anybody preaches any other gospel, then then I've preached unto you and that you have received, let him be accursed. And and, and the the emphasis is heavy, heavy on the accursed because it means he's fit for judgment because he's changed the gospel. And Paul says it, 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 
it, it, I marvel and I'm, I'm dumbfounded in a lot of ways that you are so easily uh, removed from, from the grace of God in salvation unto another gospel, which is not another. And what he means is it's not another one of the same kind. It's not another one of equal value or effect. It's a different gospel, and it's not a gospel at all. And so this deception that the Galatians had found themselves in was resulting from the teaching of what we would call the Judaizers or those who, who were teaching that they had to keep the Old Testament law along with faith in Christ in order to be saved. And what they were saying is that these Gentiles, in order to truly be saved, had to be circumcised along with their faith in Christ. And it was a perversion of the Gospels, of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Along with that, these Jews also attacked Paul's apostleship and the authority of his message. And it was part of their teaching this different gospel, different from that which Paul had proclaimed. And so that's the context here. And so chapters 1 and 2 are really a defense of both of Paul's apostleship and his authority and the gospel that he had been proclaiming. And so number one, Paul says that these Judaizers preached a false gospel that was troubling these believers. It wasn't another one of the same kind. It wasn't just as good. It was a false gospel, a different gospel, and they should be accursed. They're fit for judgment. And then number two, the true gospel, which Paul had preached, Paul says this wasn't of men like the Judaizers' gospel. This was from God Himself. Look at verse 12. He says, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so if you go back to verse 10, Paul says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if, it yet pleased men, if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And what he's referring to is that the accusation against Paul was that he came along with this made-up doctrine in order to get followers for himself. Instead of having to do the rigid work of keeping the Old Testament law, Paul came up with this idea of grace, that, oh, you're under grace, and you don't have to worry about the law, and it made it easier for people to be converted. That's what the Judaizers had said. And Paul says, do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if yet I pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. And Paul is saying that their religion and their gospel that they're preaching is after men. And he says, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the true gospel, which he preached, was not of man, but of God. And and Paul is very much, and what's happening here is Paul is very much making a big distinction between what these Galatians were being deceived by versus what Paul had preached unto them in the beginning. These are not the same things. They're very different things, and Paul's making that distinction very clear. And so that brings a question to our minds. How does one know that anything else 
is not just as effective or just as good. You know how you hear people in religion and Christianity today say, you've got your way to Jesus Christ or your way to heaven and I've got my way to heaven and we all are going to the same place. We just have a different way of getting there and we have the same God who loves us all. You've heard that before, right? What makes your religion different or better than, say, this one over here? How do you know that it's right or true? It's a really good question. How does one know that anything else is not just as effective or just as good? Well, Paul demonstrates for us in this text that the best argument or defense of the gospel is actually your own testimony of how believing and obeying the gospel unto salvation has completely transformed and changed your life. A changed life is the best argument and defense for the power of the gospel. Religion can't do that. And this is the difference right here. The gospel and real salvation makes a difference and transforms a life into something that is completely new. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is the dynamic of the gospel. We had talked about uh, earlier how uh, the deception of what these people were preaching. Uh, But tonight we're going to talk about the dynamic of the gospel. And the dynamic of the gospel is that it has the power to completely change a life. This is what makes it different. And so I want to pray, and then we're going to begin. We're going to see three things tonight. The real gospel and real salvation is all of God. Secondly, we're going to look at and we're going to see that the real gospel and real salvation changes your life. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the the purpose of real salvation that comes from the gospel. And those are the three things we're going to consider tonight and make some applications along the way. And I want you to open up your heart to the truth of God tonight, and we're going to talk about the gospel too. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight, and Lord, I pray that you give us of your Spirit, and Lord, that you would have full control in this hour, in this place, and Lord, that you'd take the Word of God uh, to apply it through the Spirit of God to the hearts of men tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I want you to notice here in our text is in verse 15, where Paul says, and Paul makes it very clear that the real gospel and and real salvation is all of God. And he's going to use his own life as an example. But notice what he says in verse 15. He says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. And so Paul's talking again about making the distinction between the true gospel of God, which is a gospel of grace and not of works, that it's all of God, it came from God, it's not of men at all, which their gospel is. Paul makes it very clear that in his own life and the own transformation of his life, it was all of God start to finish. You notice how he says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. Notice the pleasure of God and the grace of God that Paul mentions here. Understand this. When Paul says, 
Paul basically says, it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. Paul is giving credit to the very uh, physical life that he possesses to God himself. He had nothing to do with his, his coming into this world. He had nothing to do with his own physical life. And I'm simply saying this, friend, you do not exist without the grace of God. People are so proud, and people are so haughty, and people are self-made men, and they think they have it all together. But the reality is, Fred, and listen up tonight, you can't even get up tomorrow morning without the grace of God. You can't breathe another breath without the grace of God. You're alive today because of the grace of God. Paul said it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb. And then he says, and called me by His grace. Paul goes on to talk about the spiritual life. Not just the physical life, but the spiritual life that he has is all of God. You don't get a chance for spiritual life without the grace of God. Now, you know the account where Paul was converted to Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And the Bible talks about suddenly... Paul saw a light, right? And it was Jesus Christ. And, 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 and Jesus said to him, why, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And Saul was blind after that. And, and you say, Well, that was a sudden conversion uh, that, that Paul experienced. And I would say this to you, friend. It seems that it was sudden in the Scriptures, but God had thoughts of mercy towards him far before that ever took place. Didn't he? It was the conviction of the Spirit of God, no doubt, when Stephen was stoned, that Saul standing there watching going on, watching what is happening, looking and listening to what Stephen was saying, how, how he was saying, Lord, forgive them for what they're doing. And maybe how his face showed when he looked toward heaven, he said, I see Jesus uh, in the heavens open. What, what was all of that about? No doubt those were things that were pricking his heart. What about when Saul was making havoc of the church and he was going from house to house and hailing men and women and putting them in prison and all the persecution that he was giving? I wonder how those Christians responded and I wonder if their response started to begin to work in Saul's heart. What I'm saying is, before he was converted on the road to Damascus, God was already working in his heart. That is a picture of mercy and grace. God did not begin to work with him when he was on the road to Damascus. That wasn't the first occasion in which the love of God came across to this chiefest of sinners. Did you know that the Bible says to us in Romans 2 and verse 4, it teaches us that the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. You know what? There are circumstances of life that the Lord will use. We're all haters of God. We're all people who reject God, who don't want anything to do with God, but God in His love and mercy wants to redeem us and wants to save our soul. And long before we ever come to the place of surrender and repentance, God is already working in life to bring us and lead us to this place where we'll receive it. 
God will use circumstances of life. Maybe, maybe it's things that just bring you to the very bottom of yourself. And why should I even exist anymore? God will use that to bring you and lead you to a place where you'll receive the gospel that can change your life. I remember in my own life, those thoughts and those feelings of total emptiness because I've got nothing left. And God in His tender mercy still drawing and pulling me to Himself and thinking like, why should I even live anymore? And I'm so thankful that God was good and God is gracious and God is merciful that He didn't let me go. But He led me to the place where He could change my life completely. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And these circumstances God can use to move us into a place where we're ready to hear and receive the truth of what we are before God and the truth of the gospel that can save our soul. God in His grace and mercy works in our life way before we were ever saved to lead us to a place where we can be saved. And why does he do that? Because 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why does he do that? Because he doesn't want your soul lost. He doesn't want any soul to be lost. And salvation is of the good pleasure and the grace of God. It's not something we choose to do on our own or of our own. Did you know that? Did you know that? It's not a choice that I was like, oh, I'm going to add God to my life now. Oh, God's going to work out good for me in this situation. I'm, I'm going to choose to come to you, God. No, 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 no. The Bible tells us that no man cometh unto the Father except the Father draw him of his good pleasure and of his good grace. Men could boast then, could they? couldn't they? Oh, I chose to add God to my life. But Paul says... It was the pleasure of God and the grace of God at work in my life to call me into this place. God must draw, and He does so of His good pleasure. Ephesians 1 and verse 4 says, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. How many times does that passage say it's the good pleasure of God or according to the grace of God? How much of that belongs to me or you? Paul says salvation is all of God. It's His good pleasure to call men by His grace to salvation. Big difference 
from the false gospel that these Judaizers were teaching is all about men and all about their work. But notice the purpose then. So we see God's pleasure, but notice God's purpose in verse 16. To reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen. Here's the purpose of salvation. He says, to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen. The word reveal, it means to take off the cover. It means to expose. And so Paul says it was God's grace, and it was God's calling, and it was God's pleasure to save my soul. But the reason He did that was to reveal His Son in me, to remove the cover. Why? So that He might preach Jesus among the heathen. What does that tell us? It tells us this, friend, that the purpose for which God saves us is not just so that we can be free from hellfire. We're saved to serve, not to sit. We're saved to serve, not to sit. The purpose of our salvation is service to Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The very next verse, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The reason and the purpose for salvation was to reveal Jesus Christ in Him. Paul said God wanted to reveal His Son, Jesus, in Him, but also through Him. Not just in Him, not just the life of Christ being developed in Him, but revealed Jesus Christ through Him because He was to preach Him among the heathen. Did you know that God wants to do the same thing in you? He wants the world to see Jesus Christ in your life. He wants to reveal His Son in you and through you. The power of the gospel should be exemplified in the life that you and I live. That shines through in the very next thought that Paul gives us here. We first of all see that real salvation is all of God. But secondly, we see this, that real salvation changes your life. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Now skip down to verse 23. So Paul says, You've heard of my lifestyle in time past. And this is what I was. But now skip to verse 23. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. Real salvation changes your life. Now notice that Paul says in verse 13, he says, You've heard of my conversation in time past. That word conversation, it means lifestyle. It means manner of life. So Paul says, you've heard about the way that I lived or the way that I used to live in time past. And notice, and I want you to notice the before and the after 
of Paul's life here. What was Paul's reputation before salvation? Verse 13, he says, you've known of my lifestyle in the past. He says, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. That means destroyed it, or tried to, and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in my own nation. What was his reputation before he was saved? Well, the Bible says, and Paul by his own lips says, I was a persecutor. I was injurious. I wasted the church of God. Paul was un, or Saul at the time was unmerciful beyond measure. Let's just go back to Acts chapter 9. Keep your place here. And we don't, we don't have the time to look at all the references there are regarding this, because Paul mentions it many times throughout his epistles to all these different churches. Paul mentions what his life was and how God changed him. But in Acts chapter 9, in verse 1, the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. You get an idea of his hatred, his hatred for Christianity, breathing out threatenings and slaughter. And if he found anybody who claimed Jesus Christ, that he would have the authority to bring them bound to Jerusalem. Not only was he a persecutor, not only was he unmerciful beyond measure, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. There is no doubt that Paul was destined to be the chief priest. His motive was profit, he says in verse 14. If you go back to our text, in verse 14 he says, "...and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals." or in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous. He was advancing. He was head and shoulders above all the others. It was all about uh, him, his own prophet. He was zealous of the traditions of his fathers. Listen, the idea here is that Paul had a reputation, and his reputation was one of a persecutor, one who was unmerciful, and his reputation was one whose life was all about himself. That's who he was. But I want you to see the change after salvation. Verse 15, but when it pleased God. So here's that that important word, but, in verse 15. Here's what I was. Here's how I lived, but. Here's the difference. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were the apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other the apostles I saw none, save James the Lord's brother." Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came unto the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past 
Now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. What do you see of Paul's life? Number one, you see surrender to God. He didn't go and do this of his own accord. He was led of the Spirit of God, and God taught him. And then number two, he's preaching the very thing that he hated so much. What a transformation of life. And this is what real salvation and the real gospel will do. Let me make the application. And you know this well, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That is the power of the gospel, the true gospel, to change a life. And I'm going to ask you the question. What is the before and after of your life? What is the before and after of your life? Because salvation is going to change you. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home and you were a good Christian kid, and you're like, well, I don't really have a lot of sins of the world you know, that got to get rooted out of my life. Oh, yeah, you do. You have a lot of sins of the flesh, and it's going to change you. Well, you may not have all of this on the outside that is so evident, but I'll tell you what will be. Your attitude will be different. That will be noticeable. Your humility will be different. That will be noticeable. Your desire to love God and to do the things of God and to be a part of the things of God, that will be noticeable. You're going to change no matter what. Because that's what real salvation does. It makes you a new creation. What is the before and after of your life? There's still dramatic change that occurs, even if you're a Christian kid who grows up in a Christian home. The question is, are you different since you claim Jesus Christ? The real gospel has power to change. And let me say this to you as well. The change isn't just for a while, friend. Like you start off well, Oh, you're a new Christian. It looks like you want to serve God. It looks like you love God. In fact, you even brought people to church. You even witnessed to some people. And they came to church, and they got saved and praised the Lord. And you know what? Somewhere along the line, the real you starts to come back. You know what? I did that. I did that. I was 14 years old and I made a profession of faith at a youth camp because my friends did. And I was a Christian kid who knew the lingo, who knew how to act the part, who knew how to do all the things. And for a while I tried to do these things, but guess what? The real me was still there. And you cannot fake, you cannot fake the Spirit of God living inside of you that changes you. Because if He is there, He's going to change you. If He's not, you're not going to be different. So guess who's going to come back? The old you. The real you. And what I'm saying is real salvation isn't just for a little while. It isn't for a time when you appear to be saved. No, no, no. Real salvation is permanent. The change of life happens on the inside and it's permanent because you're a brand new creation in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Look, you're all fired up, Pastor. You better believe I am. 
Has it gotten old? How long have you been saved? Has it gotten old? Has serving Christ become something that is fading farther and farther away? Do you secretly love sin? Secretly love it? And your flesh and the world? Listen, some of you aren't even listening tonight, and I know exactly why. There's another question for you. Do you really have an interest in serving God and loving God and the things of God? Is it really there? Or do you put on this show and try to appear a certain way because we're part of Plaque Road Baptist Church. And there are people who have to think that I'm truly saved. But in reality, you don't have time for God. You don't have an interest in the things of God. You don't have a love for the people of God. Your life is all about you. If that's you, friend, you're not saved. You are not saved. Because real salvation changes your life forever. Not just for a while. Paul said, You knew who I was. You've heard who I was. This is what I was. A persecutor of Jesus Christ. But now, now, because of real salvation... I'm preaching the very thing that I once hated. I'm loving God. The, the, you know, all of the things that I did in the past, they were all of the flesh. They were all for me. They were all to, to pump myself up. But then I came face to face with Jesus Christ, and He changed my life, and now I'm preaching the very thing that I persecuted and hated. That's what the power of the gospel does. That's the dynamic of the gospel. This is what is different. That's why that's a false gospel. It doesn't have the power to do that. Amen? And then notice verse 24, the last thing, the purpose of salvation. Here he says, And they glorified God in me. You know what the purpose of salvation is? Not just to be free from hellfire. The purpose of God making you brand new is to bring glory to Him. Amen? To bring glory to God. In Paul's case, the persecutor now preaches the very one that he opposed. The power of the gospel to convert and change a life has never probably been more evident than what it had done for the Apostle Paul. And the thing was, is that the churches... They could see it. The churches could see it. They could see this radical transformation, and it caused them to give glory to the Lord because it was obvious that this was not a work of men. And let me just say to you, religion 
And self-righteousness only promotes self. It only promotes the work of men, but it can never change a life. The heart of one who is really saved is going to be this kind of heart. Lord, I, I want to do and I want to be whatever you want me to be and whatever you want me to do. That's what Saul said. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? A surrendered heart. I want to change. Lord, I want you to change me in my life where I need to be changed in order that my life might bring you glory and honor. This is going to be the driving force of your life if you're truly saved. All I want to do is please God and give Him glory. And I'm sorry for the times that I fail. I'm sorry for my stubbornness. But ultimately, deep down inside, there's this longing to love God and to please Him and to bring glory to Him. What's your reputation? Is there evidence of real change? That's an indicator of real salvation. Does your life bring glory to God by virtue of the changes that other people can see? Like, wow! Look what the Lord has done in that person's life. Whoa! What a transformation! There's no doubt that that person got saved. It was just the, I don't think it was Sunday afternoon it might have been. There were several of us that were sitting around and we were talking uh, about, even about somebody in the church and we were, we were talking about how awesome it was that there is no doubt that this person was converted to Christ. Their life is completely different. That's what we were talking about. Glorifying God for what He had done. And it was evident. That's exactly what the churches of Judea had done. They had heard. They hadn't seen him by face, but they had heard. The guy who persecuted us is now preaching the gospel, and they glorified God in me. What a testimony. Is anybody glorifying God today for what they've found in you? And for your witness of Jesus Christ? Is there anybody glorifying God for what they found in me as a person? What should they find in us? Well, they ought to find the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul's going to talk about in Galatians chapter 5, isn't he? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, are those the things that people know you for? What's your reputation? See, that's the beauty of Christ being lived through you. That's revealing of the Son through your life. Amen? See, Paul makes the best argument for the defense of the gospel that there could be. He says, it's my life. Look what God has done in my life. That is evidence of what's real and what's not. The dynamic of the gospel is that it is the power of God unto salvation, and real salvation completely changes a life. Spurgeon said this, and I'll close. He said, what a marvelous life it is 
salvation. It brings with it new perceptions, new emotions, new desires. It has new senses. There are new eyes with which we see the invisible, new ears with which we hear the voice of God that before was inaudible. Wow, what a statement. Then we have a new touch with which we lay hold on divine truth. Then we have a new taste so that we taste and see that the Lord is good. This new life ushers into us into a new world and gives a new relationship and new divine privileges. Behold, all things become new. Are others glorifying God for what they found in you? That's one application here tonight. The second application is this. If you claim salvation, but your life has never really changed, then you're not saved, friend. But you can be. Amen. What's the best defense of the gospel? My very life. The power of the gospel to change. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use the word of God here tonight to penetrate hearts. And Lord, we love you for giving us your Son. We love you for the fact that you first loved us. Lord, we love you for providing redemption for sinful men. And Lord, we love you for the real and radical change that comes with the power of the gospel unto salvation. And then, Lord, beyond just salvation and the removal of the wrath of God, and beyond that, you give purpose. And our purpose is to glorify you. You give purpose in living. And all things become new. A new way of seeing, a new way of sensing, a new desire, new emotion, new heart. All things become new. And Lord, I pray tonight for those in this room who have never been truly saved. They've never been converted. Maybe they know a version of Christianity, but it's not the real thing. Just like these Jews who were teaching that they had to add works to their faith in Christ to truly be saved. And it was deceiving others. Lord, I pray that you'd make it very clear in the hearts and minds of people that there's a version of Christianity out there, but it's not the real one. The real one has the power of God that transforms a life. And then, Lord, I pray for God's people, Lord, that we would have that heart. Lord, reveal your Son in me through me, that my life would bring glory to you, that others might see Christ, and my life could be used to bring others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.